Hey everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Training Ground Podcast with your host, Kevin Barry. In this episode, Kevin is speaking with Dean Broaders. Dean is a football development officer with the Football Association of Ireland. Today they'll be discussing everything related to youth football, including coaching education and player development plans, Dean's experience playing in the League of Ireland and advice to younger players, the importance of grassroots coaches, and training advice Dean would give to his younger self. Dean, I appreciate you coming on the Train Ground podcast. I know you were uh, highly recommended from Thomas Croak, who was on episode 12. So thanks for coming on. No problem at all, Kevin. Happy to be here. Can you tell us about your own football and background? I think some of it mirrors uh, Thomas Croak's, um, but kind of like get into where you started with football and then how you got your first coaching position. Yeah, I kind of, yeah, I suppose my, my career path to be a college would be similar to Crokey's uh, in terms of playing and coaching, I suppose. Um, playing wise, I don't know, I'm from a small town in, in Greg Manor, Kenny, so I would have started off playing here as school boys and stuff. I actually spent two seasons playing in Warford, Warford Bowls actually when I was about 13, 14. Um, and this is a story, this is a, a story around how, how that came about, but um, yeah, just would have played locally with Kenny. Um, John Kennedy Cups, all that kind of thing, uh, as you, you know yourself. And then um, up into, uh, I, I would have went to Freebooters in Kenny, uh, who would have been you know, one of the top junior sides when I was about 17, 18. Um, and then uh, from there, kind of would have been, I don't want to say spotted, but I would have knew a few people in, in Wexford Dudes at that time. Um, and they got in touch and I kind of went down there on a trial basis maybe for a couple of weeks eventually signed um, and probably signed because they were struggling at the time for, for players or left footed players mm-hmm. so that was probably what got me in but yeah I spent um, I think I was there for about six or seven years then after that um, didn't win I'd say anything uh, because when in, even in 2015 they won the league I was injured I think I played was 12 minutes in that entire season unfortunately um, so my my league, league of Ireland career was certainly a uh, Certainly uh, overcrowded with losses and, and, <laughs> and getting hammered. But no, look, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. Spent about six months in Waterford United then with, with Roddy Collins, which is another experience. And that was kind of it then. Um, at the same time, I suppose maybe, I mean, last year at Wexford Youth, I would have started, I would have been doing kind of my youth, all youth art or, and then into my UFB in college. Um, so that was the start of it really, probably in, in 2008. 14, 15, I'd say, was, was when I started coaching. Never had much of an interest in coaching, I suppose, when I was playing, as most players don't. Um, but then, as I was, I went to, in college, I would have went to um, Korea um, for the World University Games 2015. And the local club actually would have helped me out with some sponsorship to, to give me, a, to give me um, a lot of sponsorship going. So when I came back then, I kind of said, look, Thanks very much. I'll, I'll do a little bit of coaching for you just to kind of pay you back. Um, and that was just with the senior team at the time, just to kind of whip them into a little bit of shape. I suppose they were struggling at the time. And Jesus, from that then I was uh, I was I was highly involved and still involved, and went on to be chairman of the club and the whole lot. From, from <laughs> try to try to uh, rejuvenate from top from top to the bottom. I suppose we'd say. Mm. Um, so that was kind of it. Um, yeah, coaching would have started there really at grassroots level, like you know, and obviously built it then into luckily doing it full time with the FBI. Yeah, when you went over to yeah. Korea, was that for futsal or eleven aside, or what was the format there? Yeah, eleven eleven aside. Um, so it's um, I suppose at the time, although 
it's the, it's the kind of shooting that looks like. Um, so yeah, eleven aside um, would have been just a, a kind of an amalgamation of the colleges and universities teams in, in Ireland. Um, so yeah, look very lucky to and unfortunate to get on the squad. Um, unfortunately, I. I did my Achilles probably we, we would have went in in June I think um, so I did my Achilles kind of toured in February so it was a process then to try and get fit for it wasn't wasn't really fit at all over there played probably uh, in total probably 90 minutes over three games you know and really just patching up and kind of um, being there as the as a as an impact sub I suppose for most of it but um, no listen it was it's possible it's definitely me, me, my best experience as a, as a player like you know just unbelievable Sort of full week, or I think we're there eight days in total. But again, it's just it's just uh, full on. You're playing games every uh, every couple of days. You're training. Look, it's like for 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 us as players, you know, you you, you feel like you're at a World Cup, really, like you know, and um, yeah. how well it was ran. That's so, all. Yeah, no, really, really enjoyable experience there. That's fantastic. Now, when you first made the transition to Wexford, was that an easy one for you, or were you kind of you know a little bit nervous or anxious about leaving kind of your hometown club as such? Um, not nervous I suppose I think fitness is probably where we would have not even fitness Kevin I think like we're, we're speaking something we were spoke I suppose over email about SNC and stuff like that I think that side of it really really I'd never I'd never been really exposed to, to SNC or any any type of proper fitness uh, training you know with, with freebooters um, in Kilkenny I would have we would have done a lot of heavy training and stuff you know Um but it would have been the old traditional style of, you know, running laps and do figure eights around the pitch and stuff like that. Really, 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 I suppose, you know, got to, uh, with, with that squad that time in, in, in junior football, in Kenny, we were, we were, you know, we won the Leinster Junior Cup and we were really fit and stuff like that, but different types, I suppose. I mean, I think one of my first games, I think my first game was in the RSC, um, but the f- first a cup game was up in Tala against Shamrock Rovers, you know, and you're playing against you know, at that time it was Billy Dennehy, um, Gary Tw- Gary Twig, you know, really, really top players that I've been around for years. And here was me, I just felt like I was a scrawny sort of 18-year-old or 19-year-old player. I couldn't get near him, like, you know. So that side of it was was a big shock, like, you know. I was fit in terms I could get around the pitch for 90 minutes, but, you know, you couldn't get near a player. You couldn't, you'd be out muscled, you'd be out kind of, even outpaced, even at the level that those guys are at, like, you know. And it's the same today, I suppose. If you're fresh into the league and you're coming up against Shamrock Rovers, they're, they're at a higher level now, but you're you're miles away from it, like you know. So I yeah. really struggled with, with that, uh, the, the high end of it, like you know. Yeah, I was going to say I was kind of the same. Um, where I finished under sixteen league with uh, with Warford Bowes actually, and uh, when, at the time we went into under twenty with Warford, and even that transition, like you said, the first couple of games or the first season, it's it's tough. Yeah, yeah. Uh, even like for me at that time. Even eating properly, like you know, you're, you're, you're like it's it's just it's it's a different world, really. And and again, not to over dramatize it, but um, look again at what we spoke about. I think if a positive for me with the with the national league, a really positive thing is that hopefully now players at 13, 14, 50 are being exposed to SNC and area are being exposed to kind of nutrition and and, and, hyd- and proper hydration and, re- and rest and recovery and stuff, you know. Whereas I was getting that at 19, like you know, mm-hmm. and I think. A big thing for me, even knowing your body, like you know, I, I had trouble with my hip flexors um for the first season at Western Buttes. I think it was out for probably six weeks. One kind of I tore the small bit, got that back, and then the other one had had gone. Um look, I don't know what that was about, but I hadn't even heard of a hip flexor before I went down before I, I, I actually tore them, like you know. Yeah. So again, 
for me, it was it was I was getting it way too late. Um, I wouldn't call myself any sort of naturally gifted or talented player. I, I would have been decent because I I kind of worked hard at it, you know. So, but I felt if now looking back, if I had started those um, exposures to strength conditioning, nutrition, hydration, just that higher level, I think it, it would really stand to you um, mm-hmm. as you get older, you know. Yeah, that makes sense. I'd love to get into that a little bit more. Um, I suppose just give kind of. An update of where you are now, uh, working with the FEI Football Association of Ireland and kind of get into what you do on a day-to-day basis then from there. Yeah, so the role is a development football development officer. Um, I suppose it was uh, how I kind of was in a position to take the job, I suppose. Again, I don't know for definite, but from my, from my um, idea anyway... As I said earlier, I when I came back from Korea in 2015, I would have done a small bit of coaching with the senior, you know, you, you'll know an A team, I suppose, or an A team and B teams how we work in, in Ireland, um, in junior football. So I would have done a little bit of the A team, just a small bit of coaching, uh, just to give help out the kind of manager at the time. It ended up that I ended up taking over the team, um, and at that stage, you know, junior, small junior club in a small town, really struggling with kind of getting people to help out and getting the right people involved. So. You know, long story short, I took over as chairman, secretary originally, um, and did pre-RO and did every kind of was involved in every part of the club. At one stage, I was probably coaching six or seven teams, you know, from under eights to tens to twelves to, to senior A team and, and that kind of thing. So I eventually took over as chairman. So it kind of really got a sense of how to run a football club from top to bottom, you know. Um, I would have engaged with all the FAI programs, soccer sisters, summer soccer schools, um. Would have helped out the kind of development officer at the time. Who I, I went to college with in Kilkenny, uh, sorry in Carlow, and he was developing national Kilkenny. So I was kind of really exposed to all those ty- types of um, you know any work that an FAI development officer does. So luckily, then the job came up. Um, you know applied for it and and was lucky enough to get it. Um, so the day to day is it varies widely. Um, you know you're 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 working in schools. You could be. Um, you could be doing some coach education with, you know, like PDP1s, PDP2s, which are introductory um, coaching courses. Um, you know, we work with the Emerging Talent Centre Excellence squads, working closely with clubs and obviously going kind of getting into that more now that we're really starting to, it's, it's going to be kind of a club-based model that you, you work really closely with the clubs and help them develop themselves. Um, so look, it's a wide variety. You could be coaching kids from under. You could be coaching six-year-olds, um, but you normally only go to maybe fourteen or fifteen, you know. So, but it's anywhere in between as well, you know. That's um, and that's, that's that's high level, and that's also babies, baby steps in in schools and stuff like that, you know. Yeah, that sounds like keeps the job interesting. You're not doing the same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, there's always something different. Now, kind of, with you taking on that role, or kind of just on. For yourself, have you kind of given up football then or playing or kind of what involvement do you have personally? No, look, yeah, at this stage we, we can't, um, we've just a new part, kind of a coaching policy coming now with the, with the FA where we can't coach um, teams, you know, because of, you know, conflicts of interest and things like that. Mm-hmm. But no, I'm still playing, uh, lucky enough to still be playing. Um, as I said to you, I'm getting on now. I'm 32, uh, which yeah. I thought I'd never say. But no, I'm still playing with the with the local club that I was coaching before um, in, in High Gate Athletic in, in Greg Manor. Um, and yeah, look, still keeping in as, as best I can. I've put on a bit of timber, as you can, as if anyone who <laughs> you you won't know, but I put on a bit of timber over the over the lockdown. But no, I was still heavily involved, kind of with with the Oscar trainer in Kilkenny, and we were we were at the semi final stage in the competition and that. Still playing away here locally with the with the senior A team as well. So yeah, look, I I think uh, 
I said before, until my legs stop completely, yeah. I think I, I want to play, you know. Um, yeah. And I can't ever, I think it's a, it's a curse, I can't ever picture myself not playing football, you know. So, lucky enough, I'm still physically able to ask, so until I'm not, I'll continue. Mm-hmm. Uh, a question I did have for uh, Thomas Croke a while back was um, when he was working in the coaching pathway did you feel like that helped you out playing wise or training wise or kind of how you approach games and the old the old cliche I think is is you know if you knew what you knew now when you were back in 17, 18, 19 you could be a completely different player but 100% um, 100% I think for me, as I said, I, I I don't consider myself a naturally kind of gifted player by any means or, or anything like that. So I think, you know, the things you pick up in coaching courses, um, I think definitely, I, even Kevin, you know, when you're putting on a session yourself for other players, you, sometimes you, you'd see another player in a position and I do take that in as myself to think, yeah, look, that's a, that's a, that's a, something that I would kind of bring into my own game. So massively, I think it's, it's definitely helped me as a player. Um, wish I got an earlier, wish I was on the kind of pathway earlier that it could help help me game maybe when I was 15, 16, 17. Um, but again, another massive um, positive, I think, for, for National League players now in Ireland, um, again, just to, to link it to, to an Irish uh, setting, is that now they're all getting free coach education at those ages. So under 13s, uh, all the way up to kind of under 17s and 19s, they all get free coach education relative to their age as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's massive. Look, as a as a thirteen year old, do you actually fourteen, fifteen, do you take in any coach education? Do you want it? Possibly not, but there will be always those two or three that will take it on board and hopefully it'll improve their game as well, you know. From a big picture standpoint, I think that's a good idea because you're always playing the percentages. You're gonna have someone in there that is interested. You've talked about the uh, PDP uh, one and two a couple of times already, the player development plan. Um I know last maybe 10, 15 years, the FBI have gone back and forth on name and stuff differently and developing different uh, certifications and uh, badges as such. But uh, can you talk us through kind of that pathway for a coach that wants to get involved in like underage football? Yeah, so the, the, as you said, the PDP-1 is the introductory course, um, PDP-1, PDP-2. It's structured on an age basis um, and PDP-1 would, would be for coaches in the coaching kids, six and nine-year-olds. PDP two would be ten to twelve year olds, and PDP three would be fifth, um, thirteen to fifteen, sixteen uh, age group. Um, so yeah, look, it's 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 in terms of the pathway. Um, you know, you you come in at your PDP one, um, you do your PDP one, PDP two, um, then you you progress obviously to your PDP three, um, and it's just a, a kind of a build up or a structured approach uh, right away right away through the age groups. Um, obviously, all the content will be age specific specific. Um, you know, to kind of working on figuring out the char- characteristics and kind of exactly what a player needs at, the, at those age groups. You know, um, it, I think look, mass something that I'm I'm really kind of uh, really have bought into when I was even um, looking after the, the the local club here and, and all the age groups was the PDP plan. You know, the player development plan that's in place. I think you know people will. Some people will you know uh, pick pick holes in it and things like that. But the fact that we you know we have a plan that that hopefully you know you're hoping all the clubs in 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 the country will work from, meaning that each each team and each club will be working off a certain set of guidelines can only be positive. Like you know, um, even things down to having the having the just the, the big thing for me, I suppose, in it is. The, uh, the the football size, you know, they're all size fives, but they're weighted. Then gradually, as the kids go from six year olds all the way up to, to to kind of fifteen and onto adult football, you know, 
little things like that I think are huge and um, again look Ireland can be negative sometimes when we're talking about football and, and we look at the national team and things like that um, you know not qualifying for things but at the grassroots level of things and, and you know right the way through is these kind of plans are really you know um, I think are, are hugely positive and you see the difference for me you see the difference now at the national team 15, 16, 17 year olds they're all competent players and technical players and we're looking to play the ball on the ground and I know that's a cliche as well but uh, yeah, look, I think it's it's massively mass, massively positive. Um, I think it is due to be updated soon as well. It was kind of a 2015 to 2020. So hopefully now we can kick on again when that does come out, the, the updated one, and, and progress the players from there, you know? I suppose this might be a little bit of a loaded question, but um, like at what age do players kind of train to win, um, in your opinion? Do you know, like some of the earlier experiences I had with um, playing at with the uh, regional emerging talent program where you would get, you know, rated after a game, like you were an eight or you were a nine out of 10 today. And kind of, it wasn't until we were 15 or 16 where it was really that competitive element in football. Within the FBI structure, I suppose it's, uh, you know, it, it becomes competitive football under 12s in a sense that league, league um, formations come in um, and up to that, <clears throat> Excuse me. Up to that, it's not recommended to keep um, records of scores or league, league tables and stuff like that. Um, and obviously, that's the kind of to get the fundamental side of it and get get you know um, you don't want to be keeping scores at six, six and seven and eight year olds. Mm-hmm. So you would start kind of playing blitz football at, from at eight years of age, eight nines um, into kind of under tens. You would have maybe a more structured format, but still no tables. At under 11s, then it'd be a similar approach, but kind of halfway through the season under 11s, some leagues will bring in a, a kind of a, a cup competition just to just to kind of get that element of of, of competition before they go into full competition you know, under 12s, um, and then it, and it goes from there. In terms of, yeah, look, I, I think everyone will have a different opinion um, on when it should become competitive and, and things like that. But again, if we if we talk about the player development plan and strip it back to even what the, the name implies, uh, I think the most important thing is, is developing players. Like, and that that shouldn't stop just at twelve, just because it becomes competitive. I think you know at those ages, it's nearly more important or as as important definitely to keep that. You know yourself. Sometimes clubs and coaches get too fixated on, on winning games and forget about the actual player that's out there on the pitch. Um, it's funny, even to, um, I had a conversation with a parent there today and she was talking about parents kind of, um, you know, shouting at kids from the sideline and stuff like that. And it's, it's uh, you know, she was telling me that she, she, she witnessed, again, I haven't seen it myself, but she witnessed a, a, a coach and he was kind of, t- or parent, sorry, and he was talking to the kid the whole way through the game and the kid just stopped in the middle of the game and he said, well, you shut up, I can't concentrate. You know, yeah. So you get that a lot and you, you know, you know, you from being in the States, you'd have probably seen it as well. You'd always see parents kind of shouting and screaming at kids. Coaches, unfortunately, do it as well. But again, it's it's keeping the the, the, the thing that it's all about player development, trying to develop players in mind. I think in, in Ireland in general, and it's probably... I think it, it sometimes it's a knock-on effect from from the kind of the, the hurling model where, and I'm not knocking the hurling model, but it's it's more about you know it's, it can be sometimes a lot about kind of you know getting there and it's all about heart and it's all about you know shouting to to really kind of win a ball and things like that. And um, for me anyway, and again that's not me knocking hurling, but I think the crossover sometimes comes in, into soccer then, um, and you know you kind of just get shouting and screaming rather than actual just letting the players develop, letting the players have a 
have their own sort of let them make mistakes, let them figure out their their own solutions. You know, I think sometimes we we skip over that, and it suffers then that the actual player development suffers sometimes. Yeah, that, that's a great point. I referee um, college soccer games out here and kind of underage stuff as well. But that's kind of what I've seen too has been the big takeaway. If you're a coach that is constantly talking, um, it doesn't help the team, um, especially a developing kid to actually try and make decisions once they get on the pitch. No, I look, you can, you can, you can, I can see obviously where, how, you know, where it comes from as well as that. Look, you want your team to do well. There's always that thing within yourself that you want to win games and you want to, you know, you want your kids to win and stuff. But again, if you really just strip it back and talk about how is what's best for these players' development, is that for me anyway, and again, it's 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 heavily influenced by, by how we you know what we kind of preach and teach within within as a development officer within my, my job. But allowing that kid to make his own mistake and you know learn from that is is vital for me. Um if a kid gives away, if a keeper is playing out from, from the back and he give he passes the ball to the, to the centre forward on the opposition team and he scores, that kid knows that he's made a mistake. It's killing that kid that he's made a mistake. He doesn't need an adult or a coach or a parent to tell him repeatedly that he's made a mistake. Or now, because he's made that mistake, right, the next 10 balls are going from, from your hand straight to the centre forward because, you know, he's tried to do, he's tried to play a football and it hasn't worked out. You know, I think we do, um, and again, Linking to the hurling, in that sense, it's about you know getting the ball as quickly up the field as possible and winning it and scoring. And that works in hurling, but it's a completely different game. Um, I think then where we sometimes get trip up is we treat it maybe the same, and it's not intentionally; it's probably subconsciously that we treat it the same. That get the ball as quickly up to the other end of the field and see can we score. Um, and that worked for Ireland maybe back in Jack, Jack Charlton's day and things like that. But nowadays, it's not the, it, it doesn't it doesn't work, you know. So. Yeah, I think that's where we get. Um, that's where we where we cross over and, and get crosswords a small bit. Um, but again, if we're talking about competing with the best countries in the world, um, we need to start training our players in the in the manner that's going to help them do that. You know, and mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, um, I don't want to sound, be sounding like a hero or, or talk, be talking in, in kind of dreams and stuff. But like the grassroots grassroots coaches is where it starts. You know, they're potentially um, helping players be international players or they're at the starting point of it, you know, so why not really kind of focus on how you're going to develop, like the best way to develop them to be to go on to development squads, to go on to international under, underage squads and then hopefully playing with, with, a, with a senior team, you know, I think for me, I always have that on my head anyway, that you are potentially, you know, coaching a kid that's going to play international football one day, give him the tools that will help him to do that as best as he can. Yeah, I think that is kind of staying obvious, but something a lot of people forget about because like, most people are doing that for a volunteer basis. And it wasn't until, yeah. you know, I was 3,000 miles away that I realized what certain coaches did for me growing up. It was always, you just kind of take it for granted or that's the way it's always been. Um, but it really rely on the grassroots and volunteer level, like you're saying. Everyone does it, so you don't kind of take a step back and and are thankful yeah. or grateful for what happens. Yeah, and I think so, like that's where you can't argue. That, you know, like uh, when I was when I was chairman at a, at, a, at a local club, it was always you know I'd be always getting onto coaches about how to, to play a certain way and to kind of educate themselves and, and and you know really kind of try to develop these players. But again, if you think of this person has a job as well, they, they have a family. You know, there's there's lots more going on in their lives as well. So. It's hard sometimes for a, 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 to be a parent to to have to hold a career and also be a football coach, you know. So this is where I suppose 
you know, again, like you, you can't you can't argue with that. You can't get onto a coach and say, look, you need to be doing this better because at the very basic level, he's he's making sure the kids are safe. He's making sure they're having fun. He might not be doing it, or he or she might not be giving them the best coach in the world. But there's where there's where the balance is, and you know, you're probably hoping at, and you're looking at the national league teams now that you, you know, and not people don't agree with that system as well, but that you're you're sending those to to the to the clubs that have have more. I suppose better coaches because they have more time to, to commit to it. Um, and your your mommy or dad who are the volunteer coaches, look, they're kind of sending them along. But look, there is in a lot of clubs in in, in Ireland, and you probably see in the states yourself, where there is really top coaches. There is people that are really trying to trying to progress themselves and, and help. But I think you're right. We do take the kind of volunteers for granted a bit too much. And just on your point there, you said you you play with Waterford Bowls. Remember when I was down there, my my family didn't have a car, so someone from Waterford Bowls used to come up to Greg and Uncle Kenny, which was forty miles plus away, to collect me, to bring me to training, to collect me down at the weekend, to bring me to matches. Um, uh, don't know if you know Martin Barrett, who who owns the oh, yeah. yeah yeah Martin Martin used to uh, and his son Eddie used to come up on a Saturday morning and collect me, bring me down, and get me a couple of sausage sausage blasts before we went to Polbury to play a game, you know, so, look, take Martin even, he probably wasn't the most gifted uh, football coach in the world, but again, he had commitment to, you know, look after the players on a, on a basic level to get into games and make sure they're fed and make sure they're happy and stuff like that, you know, so, it's a, yeah, look, it's a massively underappreciated um, um, kind of role within football, um, but look, it's also a vital one, so, when we talk about, you know, you're hoping those those coaches will have a decent qualification in terms of football coaching and then the whole kind of package comes together, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're talking about a youth player, say anywhere, I suppose from 14 up to 17, 18 at the moment, um, what's the best kind of pathway for them now or if they're playing like in the local league and doing well, is the obvious next step to go towards the national league? or? Um, yeah, I think, I think definitely, Kevin. Um and again, look, there's 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 people who disagree with that um, within Ireland because you know the, 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 there is a lot of good schoolboys clubs. If you look at the, some of the Dublin clubs and the, and the players they've produced over the years, and you know even some of the top waterfall clubs as well, if you, you want to link it locally. But for me, yeah, I think as I said, look, it's it's the most obvious. It's, for me, it's the most obvious choice that if you're a really top kind of um, grassroots player, twelve or thirteen, that. You know, your next step would be National League um, where as I said you're hoping um, and the, the structures are um, in place that you are going to have better coaches you have to be a better coach to work at a National League club you have to hold a certain a certain level of coaching qualification so yeah for me that would be that would be the best step um, and as I said there is people that disagree but we're still at the early stages of that in, in, in Ireland as well you know um, the National League is not is not running too long so um, that will only improve and get better and hopefully um, perceptions will will change on that as well. I found your publication recently in the FEI for COVID return to play really interesting. Um, I know you, you obviously kind of full collaboration and a long term project look like, but um, can you tell me about some of the program goals with that and uh, what advice you're trying to get out to younger kids coming back? Yeah, so look, it was just um, it was an idea I had based off another another um, program within the FEI. So. It's it, it, the first program I kind of did around COVID was a girls centre of excellence program, and uh, basically a home program. You will be aware of the, the the regionally emerging talent program, and um, that um, you know it's it's run in different regions throughout Ireland, and um, sort of the best players in a region will come together, train once a week, and and have access to all these resources and, and kind of development officers within the FBI and, and and top coaches as well. 
So I would have been working and coaching on the girls' version of that, which is the Centre of Excellence in, in the in the Wit Arena. Um, so at the time, the kind of head coach just had kind of said to us, look, have any, any, any ideas that we can send out? I was on my A-licence at the time, and I was in that kind of mode to put PowerPoints together and documents together. So I would have put a home programme together for those um, and delivered to, to, to the regions around Ireland. But off that then, I had a conversation with a, with a grassroots coach, actually through t- Twitter. And he just said, look, is there anything available for the grassroots players in a similar sort of document? And I kind of said, look, we don't really, um, because it's hard, like, you know, to get the footage and, and compile, you know, get the right resources and stuff together. But I could just kind of put, put it to the, to the grassroots director then within the FBI. Um, and he just said, yeah, look, work away, see what you, what, whatever you need, just work away on it. Um, so I look, it took me maybe three or four weeks to put this together. Um, and look, look, uh, you know, thankfully it was it was kind of published and, and it went out there to the to the to the grassroots players. But the idea behind it obviously was to kind of give them ideas. The, the main idea was supposed was was to kind of give them a program that would, you know, reintroduce them to play. And I was thinking about some kids might not have played, you know, at all apart from maybe in the back garden small bit for a period of four, five, or six months. You know, um, so I was really kind of hoping that. It, this by by sticking to this program and FIFA Eleven Plus um, uh, kids program that was within it would 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 really help them kind of what would you call it just transition back to without picking up injuries or just give them a sort of a solid base to work from um, and also there's a lot of football content in it as well so it was just again look of it think of it as even a kind of a preseason program for grassroots players to get back into into full con- uh, full contact training um, that was the idea behind it and. You know, I think it came out quite well and it was well received. So, um, you know, really, really happy with that as well. That's great. Trying to set them up for long-term success, um, I think, is, is the main thing there. Exactly, yeah. And I suppose even just as we spoke about earlier, just exposing them to those kind of like um, types of, you know, if you the FIFA 11 plus kids, you know, just, there's a lot of core workouts, there's a lot of balance workouts. It's, it's, it's strength conditioning essentially. Um, would you know kind of package in a different sort of way, and um, that it's kind of fun games that they, they don't realise it. But again, a player of seven years of age, eight years of age, all the way to thirteen is getting a little bit of exposure. Maybe they might pick something up from it. Maybe they might take an interest in it, and that's that's the goal as well. Mm-hmm. With obviously the youth return to play now, and leagues are kind of starting to arrange now in pre-season and whatnot. Um, how do you foresee the next kind of six to nine months going? Um, hopefully, we still get a full season in, but. Do you see any uh, difference um, going forward as far as the level of coaching for um, players or even the coaches themselves? That I think a lot of people have been jumping on the Zoom uh, sessions as well and different workshops, things like that. Yeah, we have seen a massive uptake, I think, in, in that kind of thing. And the, the, the coach education department would have released uh, something recently just, just showing the, the, the numbers of coaches to come through, you know. Um, but definitely, I think, you know, we're doing a, core, a, a PDP-1 or PDP-2 almost on a weekly basis now, whereas whereas before it might be once a month because, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into the, getting a venue and getting players for venue and stuff like that. Now it's it's a simplified process that people just log on their computer and they're able to, to get that, that qualification. It's probably not the same because obviously, you know, you want to be, you get the same qualification, same information for us, I suppose, as coaches. You want to be there on the pitch. You want to be there interacting with players and coaches. So you miss that social element of it, I suppose. But no, I think it's been great. Um, and again, you're hoping that these coaches will 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 stay involved and really kind of take what they're learning and and, and apply it to their own setting. But yeah, look, I think you know, obviously, we're we're in a, we're in uncharted territory, if you like, where 
the schoolboys football across a lot of leagues will be kind of just shelved until September. Um, but there is, you know, the non-contact element of football is coming back now on June seventh. So there'll be options for a lot of friendlies for for teams as well. And you look at you know what's it. it we're competing with the, you know, the hurlings kind of back now as well, so there will be. It's difficult to get uh, games of football in, but look, yeah, look uh, to, to to look positively. You, you do hope that players now are hungrier to kind of play football, and uh, there will be with every sport, I suppose. So, like come September now, and you know you're hoping everyone's ready to go and get getting back out again. But I think yeah, the coaching aspect of it, uh, definitely, I would say that it's, it's been a big positive over lockdown that. Just so many courses have come through, you know. And again, if you're talking to the small percentages, if 10, 15, 20% of those coaches really, really push themselves now to go on to the next level and get you the up through the ladder, that'll be ideal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I think it's for the betterment of the game as well. So uh, it's good stuff. 100%. Dean, just a parting advice if you have anything you could say to kind of your younger self or anyone that's, you know, 14 or 15 now, would you have any like big picture advice or recommendations for them? Yeah, it's a good one. Um, look, I suppose again, if I was to talk, to, if I was to to to, to write myself a letter and send it back to a, to a fourteen-year-old me or something like that, it would be just probably probably just you know take things in a little bit more. You know, um, I think me as a player, um, I wouldn't say I was cocky, but I was certainly I didn't want to know about football like tactics and things like that. I wanted to have a ball and I wanted to just kind of play a game. You know, there was no I didn't talk think about tactics or anything like that, positions on a pitch. I just wanted to have a ball. I suppose I would kind of say I was a bit, what would you call it, flamboyant or tried to be flamboyant. I thought he was Ronaldo until I was about 24 years of age, I suppose, <laughs> which is way past the when you should. But no, look, I certainly, you know, as we said earlier, about having, having, you know, getting some coaching into you at a younger age, I think that would have been vital for me just to kind of really understand the game a little bit better. Um, little things like that I think would have been important and listening listening more to coaches you know that old saying was someone will tell you oh look you'll, you'll realise this now in four or five years time and you, you don't listen to a bar you know you don't you don't want to hear it but I think uh, for, for, for players now I think I'm the same I'm that person now that's telling players oh look when you're this age and that age you, yeah. you kind of think uh, why didn't I do that but yeah, it's it's difficult to get that in but certainly that was something that I would I would probably um, wish was different but again Look, it is what it is. I, I've, I've, I've been looking enough now at this stage to have a career of football where I thought I was going to be professional at one stage and now I'm working in the game. So, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't say I regret a whole lot, but <clears throat> advice to players then would be, you know, just really take in as much as you possibly can and, and, and push yourself as much as you can. Listen to your coach, the sort of a team, um, as, as we probably didn't. But, uh, yeah, look, just pick up as much as you can and work as hard as you can and, and, and you'll, be, you'll go from there. No, that's great advice. Uh... Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. I obviously want to wish you all the best uh, as you get back to in person now with coach and training and everything else you have going on. No problem. And Kevin, listen, thanks very much. And I'm looking forward to whenever you're home, I'll take a trip down to your gym. You might be able to whip me into shape again. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Training Ground Podcast, where we provide practical training takeaways for soccer players who are serious about improving their performance. To make sure you don't miss our next episode, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite podcast platform. You can find show notes and more at kjbtraining.com. That's kjbtraining.com.